Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Surley. My partner's name is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. In particular, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. They have what you need for every application at every price point. There's no reason not to be using Daiwa reels. We've got your bass covered. They sure do. Daiwa reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out the website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is recorded and produced at Berserk Productions. We Fish ASA is recorded at two studios in Chicago. Dave and I send the audio down to Berserk Productions in Land Lakes, Florida, where you will find our executive producer, Brad Nearman. Hey, Brad, I hope everything's going great. Talk to you soon. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnston from St. Croix. We're going to talk to Hunter Bevan, ASA's Inland Policy Manager. And the hottest stick on the planet, Jason Christie. He won the Bassmaster Classic, comes back and caps it off with a huge victory on Lake Chickamauga. Wow, this guy is on fire, Jason Christie. But first, let me flip it over to my friend Dave Kranz. Hey, David, what you going to talk about with Dan Johnson today? Take it away. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. I'd like to welcome back Dan Johnson. How you doing, Dan? Doing great, Dave. Awesome. Always good to talk to you. You know, uh, we have all seen it where you get to the lake and everybody goes and hits the same exact things. They're pounding all the visual, visual uh, cover, docks and trees and stumps and whatever they can see, weeds. Um, and that's all good, but th- there's things that guys will never do, and it's the on-scene uh, cover. And I, I think we need to maybe open some eyes for some of the... Uh, listeners, or also give information to guys that are already doing this uh, a little more uh, insight. Yes, I, I agree 100%. In, you know, in my humble opinion, uh, the stuff I can't see is better. I'm not going to say 100% of the time. That's just factually not true. But a lot of time, it's, it's better because most people aren't fishing it uh, for that mere fact. Uh, the visual cover, like if you get a big tree laying in the water, um, or a boat dock or something that everybody can see. Most anglers are going to try to fish it. Some are going to dissect it, probably more technical than others, but there'll still be things flying at it. I, I will back up and say this, though, and this is a really important point, I think, is if you have a, a hard target, especially something out of the water, like a big tree or especially a dock, there's certain times of day that can create shade on that target that make it better in a certain specific window of time. And we all know fish use shade lines. So there's just because it's a community spot, hard target, maybe if you really get into the nuances of it, you fish it at the right time. Like if the wind's hitting it right, or especially if the sun's on it right, creating shade on the weak side of it, that's kind of a, a little trick that i would i would i would say but that said the unseen stuff man i mean believe in your electronics uh find it fish it uh 
tungsten's a big advantage because you can feel it a lot of times with the bottom bait better than lead uh high you know high sensitivity lines will help you feel bottom too to determine between rock and weed and all these things but the biggest thing i could say is trust it trust something's there and fish it watch your line expect to get bit it's a psychology thing and once you start getting bit on things you can't see out of the water you'll start going to it all the time yeah, and I, I love your tip since we're talking about shade, about that, that side of the dock that would be better. The same thing would apply early in the morning when the whole bank is, is, uh, doesn't have the sun on it yet, but as the sun comes and hits it, you'll get the overhanging trees or the docks, as you said, and there'll be a level of shade, and many of those fish will either migrate deeper or go to that shade, and it can concentrate the, the bite for you, uh, and, and that's a great tip. One other one I would like to, and, and I, I almost hate to give this at all, but if I'm fishing an open weed flat and you get a day that it's kind of uh, partly sunny, partly cloudy, and you'll you'll get times when that sun, um, you can see the, the clouds on the water. You can see the shade areas they make. And especially when fishing topwater on a big weed flat, I've had great success of not casting to where the sunny part of it is but to the shady part, and they'll come up to hit it a lot easier. Have you ever done that? Or No, I'll put that one in my holster. Thanks for giving that one up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I said, I almost hate to give that up, but, but, but it, it, does it not make sense? No, it does. And, and I think the point that I was trying to make is just because, you know, a lot of people will see a tree on the bank hanging down into the water, and they'll say, well, it's a community spot. Everybody fishes it. Don't fish it. Well, you know what? Not everybody's flipping that thing the right way. Some people are bombing it in there and getting hung up. Some are the water entry's too hard. Some people are getting their boat too close to it. Um, so always try it for sure. It, sometimes you can figure out things other people aren't doing. But the bigger point I was trying to make, if it's a big hard target that does create shade, then that time of day, even though it's a community spot, a lot of people don't take it to that level where, you, where, where they're getting the wind to hit it just right or it's a certain feeding window based on your fishing time chart, if you go off of that, which I certainly still watch, uh, or it could be just a shade line that's either going out into the water or coming back and receding towards the tree, and all those things matter. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, sometimes uh, um, one of the unforeseen things that we're both have fished quite a bit on the rivers, and you do in the Mississippi as well as myself, uh, and I grew up on the Fox River chain here, but uh, another unforeseen structure is current. And, and that can be of uh, a lot of help to people, too, of fishing something that you really can't see, but you figure out where that seam is, and you can catch them on that, can't you? Yeah, you know, that's something that I had to learn a long, long time ago being a fly fisherman, because if you drift something wrong, they're just not going to bite it, because the current affects your line way more than it affects a bass angler with monofilament or braid fly line just gets loaded up like a dam and it pulls your fly so you have to be able to read it and I, I learned at a young age that if i don't if i can't read a current seam i'm not going to be very successful so fishing the river that is to me to be honest with you the number one thing i'm looking for right behind healthy water is the right current because you want certain current in the fall compared to the spring versus a week. That's a whole other podcast. But <laughs> I think I, I think in regard to fishing things that you can't see, when we just decided to do this topic a couple minutes before we did it, but the number one point that hit me like a two by four is trust it. Whether it's a rock pile, whether it's a shell bed, whether it's a weed line, whether it's a, a wing dam, whatever it is, trust that it's there. See it on your electronics. Fish baits uh 
if you're fishing a bait you can feel is really helpful too like if i want to really learn what i'm fishing not necessarily going to take a crankbait over mid-water column over it i'm going to put a piece of tungsten shaky head out or something where i can feel okay that's rock and it goes to sand and it goes to weed that tells you a lot and i think just believe that it's there and what's going to happen is you're going to start getting bites it's going to make you so much better than just throwing the things that you can see visually Absolutely. Now, you just said rock that goes to sand and then it goes to weeds. How important are transition areas like that? Well, it's everything. That's the whole point I'm trying to make about feeling the bottom when you see something. Because anytime, and, and you know what? I'll take it right back to the visual thing that a lot of people don't think about, you know, is you can see a lot of transition changes with your naked eye. Number one, if you look at the slope of the bank going in, but also if you, the size of the rock all of a sudden changes. It's not a guarantee, but there's a chance it's doing that under the water too. So a lot of times there's a tell, you know, visually that you can see, but you're not, you don't have to necessarily throw to the bank to the stuff that you actually can see. Maybe that same rock transition is 30 foot out that you can't see, but it's the same transition, if that makes sense. So I, I think it's a, a matter of getting our head around trusting what's underwater. Structure sand and scan and sky, side imaging have been just unbelievable about having giving us vision underwater to act to th- what things really are now we just need to learn to slow down fish them understand the right baits and i would i would almost challenge people to go out for a day on their favorite lake and don't throw to one thing they can visually see fish everything under the water all underwater cover i'll bet you they'll email you dave and say man that was a good tip because i just caught more than i've ever caught I, I think they would. And here's another one, especially on, on uh, fluctuating waters, uh, uh, whether they're tidal or rivers that go up or down, or lately with the way the rains come and or not come, some of these lakes are, are flux, fluctuating up more than I've ever seen them. But uh, local people will, will tie a milk jug on an obstruction so they don't hit it with their with their boat, whether it's a, a log or a rock pile. And as especially in areas where you have waters going up and down on a regular basis, boy, they, they, there's a visual that you, you should go and hit. It, oh, stay away from there because you're going to hit your prop. No, go there and catch some fish, right? Yeah, obviously stay off it, but certainly throw to it. There's a couple lakes in Iowa here locally that have just that, the big white jug with the crappie image on it. Oh, that's a community brush pile. Well, you know what? Bass live there too. Right? Yes, they do. So, you know, <laughs> but, but I, w- I would say another thing really, really important here is just hit me. You're mentioning the rising and falling water thing. So a lot of times with fishing, when the water's falling, they'll pull right okay so they'll go to a you know they'll pull out of a cove and go to a secondary point or a primary point or outside bluff wall or big channel or whatever Mm -hmm. but the the converse of that is not necessarily true a lot of times if you get water coming up in vegetation they'll go right up with it the willows and things like that now if water comes up on rock sometimes they'll go to that but sometimes they'll stay where the rock was best but it just got deeper but they don't seem to care so that existing old rock it was always good if that water goes up two feet. And that's the whole point that I'm trying to make is now you're fishing something you cannot see. Absolutely. Now it's 10, 15 foot off the bank further than it used to be, but they're still there. And that I've run into a lot, especially rock because they prefer, we've done podcasts on hard bottoms before. They find the best hard bottom for them and stay with it, whether the water's coming up or not a lot of times. 
Yeah, absolutely. A great, great tip there too. And uh, another thing with the lower waters, go out there and not fish and go and look and, and mark these these stumps that you haven't seen or these rock piles or, or uh, you know, something that you can happen to see on a calm day and it's it's bright out and the water's low. Uh, uh, river systems, that's a great tip to go and look and mark rock piles and places where you see the eddies and you see where that there's got to be something there and then the water goes low. I, I used to do that on my the Fox River chain here in August and I would go and I mark all these rock piles and uh, um, it, it, it helps. It all can help. But you know what? Uh, I think this was a great segment to do. We, we just hit the... Uh, the, a little bit of it, but I, I think the tips we gave were very valuable, and I think they'll be helpful, and uh, appreciate having you on the podcast as always. Hey, Dave, thanks so much. Oh, no problem. That was Dan Johnson. I am Dave Kranz. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is Sunline. One of my favorite lines to use is Sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. My next guest uh, is the ASA Fisheries Inland Policy Manager. He uh, has a lot of lot of things on his plate right now with uh, everything that's going on with the fisheries. Uh, I'd like to welcome Connor Bevan, ASA's Inland Policy Manager. Thanks for having me, Dave. Oh, you are welcome. So uh, how long have you been with the ASA? Uh, I'm coming up on a year now with ASA. I joined the team uh, right about at the end of May last year and uh, got to be on for kind of our, our return to uh, ICAST in person last year. We're, of course, looking ahead to a great show again this year. But uh, to bring everyone back after uh, a virtual ICAST the year before was uh, a great introduction to uh, ASA and the, the industry at large. So uh, coming up on the year mark now, you know, I've got to see um, the cycle of, of state uh, legislative uh, calendars come through. I've, I've got to work on the appropriations process here in Washington, 
uh, have got to you know work on bills now that have, have moved uh, through Congress. And it's uh, been a great first year on the job here at ASA. Oh, that's excellent. There's a lot of things to do there. And uh, ASA does a lot of things for the sportsmen that they don't even realize in this country and for the fisheries. Um, in our area, we're in uh, northern Illinois where we're broadcasting from. Of course, this goes across the whole country. But um, there's a lot of things that are, that are happening with invasive species. And uh, some of those things apply to where we're at up here in northern Illinois. you got things going on in the Mississippi. You have things going on in the Great Lakes. Maybe uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening there. Yeah, um, to, to start with uh, the Great Lakes, you know, we're working with uh, we're working with lawmakers of both parties on a number of different initiatives on the Great Lakes. So uh, between the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, the Great Lakes Fish and Wildlife uh, Restoration Act, uh, there are several different programs that have been implemented over the years that deal uh, with the health of the Great Lakes fisheries uh, and have worked and uh, dedicated uh, and appropriated dollars uh, to conserve and restore the fisheries of the Great Lakes. You know, folks may remember, you know, uh, the kind of heights of the sea lamprey crisis many decades back. Uh, well, it was, you know, it, it took a lot of uh, interstate coordination, uh, federal investment, uh, and, and innovation and dedication from wildlife managers uh, to push back against the invasive species challenges uh, that, you know, plagued the Great Lakes uh, in the mid-20th century. Uh, now, with Asian carp, you know, long on the doorstep of the Great Lakes having really become firmly established uh, and many of, of the river basins like the mississippi you know we are again staring down the, the barrel of another another invasive species crisis uh, in the great lakes uh, but between you know the combined efforts of the great lakes restoration initiative which has done fantastic work uh, to restore the fish habitats of the great lakes to restore wetlands uh, to promote the, the health and the uh, recovery of species like like lake trout like lake sturgeon um, you know, and some of the kind of uh, innovative research work uh, that the USGS and uh, Fish and Wildlife Survey or Service uh, has put together. Um, you know, we've seen uh, tremendous uh, changes in the Great Lakes through some of these programs, and we're working to expand these efforts, uh, reauthorize these efforts, uh, and make sure that uh, this strong track record of bipartisan support for Great Lakes uh, investment and programming is maintained and uh, is promoted for um, the the next cycle in the next Congress. Absolutely, and and what uh, event or cause can be can be made political when we all need the clean waters and air and everything that it provides for us. So yeah, both sides, all sides should be on board for this. And uh, I think about when I was, I'm 63 years old, when I was growing up in the early 60s, I remember photos of Lake Erie. There was, it was like a dead Great Lake because of the pollution and look what it is now. It's a, it's a fish factory for uh, all the species and, and smallmouth and walleye and everybody that uh, takes part in, in what's going on there. I think that was uh, took all people to come together and and make that happen. Certainly, yeah, we've come a long way in the Great Lakes. And when I was up in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, a few months ago, to see anglers just lining the banks of the lake, uh, to see the steelhead uh, just absolutely uh, tearing up lines, um, it was it was just a great sight to see. But with that said, you know we've got a long way to go and. 
restoring water quality and protecting the, the Great Lakes against pollution and invasive species. Uh, and, you know, anglers have been at the forefront of the charge uh, and continue to uh, help reach across political divisions and lines uh, in state capitals and in Washington as well. Um, so, you know, anglers have really been uh, at the, the forefront of, of the resource and of conservation for a long time, uh, both in the Great Lakes and, you know, as, as we at ASA know, really across the country. Absolutely. I, and the Asian carp have not got into the Great Lakes as far, but they're close, aren't they? Yes. Uh, grass carp um, have been detected in, in the Great Lakes. That's one of the four uh, subsets of, of carp that we collectively know as, as Asian carp or invasive carp. Um, for many of the other uh, subspecies, you know, like silver and big head carp that you see uh, jumping out of, of rivers when, you know, boats pass by, uh, you know, potentially flying into the boats, uh, you know, hitting boaters, hitting anglers, um, and really presenting a nuisance not only to the, to the users of, of the waterway, to anglers themselves, but of course to the habitats and other uh, fish species they upend. You know, those have not yet made their way into the Great Lakes as far as we know. Um, there's great research being done and eDNA sampling uh, has helped kind of monitor their spread. Uh, you know, there is uh, currently a, a project in Illinois uh, that you and, and your listeners may be familiar with. Uh, of course, it's the, the Brandon Road Lock and Dam. And this historical uh, Army Dam site has been traditionally used as a navigation uh, lock, uh, you know, a something that has served a waterway traffic Um and, you know, with Asian carp, uh, again, knocking on the doorstep of the Great Lakes, um, we see uh, Brandon Road as really a dividing point where the installation of innovative infrastructure can halt that spread into the Great Lakes. So uh, there's been tremendous investment from the federal government um, in uh, devising um, bioacoustic fish fence barriers, uh, electric barriers aimed at preventing uh, the migration of Asian carp. Uh, up into the Great Lakes. And, you know, as we've seen in other water bodies, as, you know, folks down in Kentucky and Tennessee can tell you, you know, once these Asian carp become established in a water body, uh, there's very little uh, way to control and eradicate uh, Asian carp. You know, while methods have uh, really come a long way in helping to kind of mitigate the presence and uh, removing Asian carp, especially we can, we can see the great work that uh, commercial fishermen uh, working down in, in Tennessee and Kentucky have done to remove Asian carp, uh, preventing that spread uh, or preventing the uh, yeah, spread and establishment of Asian carp uh, goes a much further way uh, towards preventing um, any impacts on fishery uh, than, you know, trying to play catch up and play from behind. So uh, really an, an ounce of prevention is really worth a pound of cure when it comes to Asian carp. And we hope to see that, you know, tremendous investment at Brandon Road uh, is is one of those things that uh, can help keep the Great Lakes safe uh, and prevent another invasive species crisis uh, like we saw with sea lamprey back in the mid-20th century. Absolutely. Now, on the Mississippi, are they using the same techniques as far as the commercial fishermen are helping reduce their numbers? Yeah, and there are uh, a number of different methods that are being devised right now, uh, and they're currently underway to... Um, remove Asian carp. So, you know, we've seen kind of direct subsidies going towards uh, commercial fishermen themselves uh, to uh, remove Asian carp, you know, that has kind of helped create a, a nascent industry. Um, you know, when you remove Asian carp from the water, uh, you know, there's uh, 
now burgeoning markets um, in the agricultural sector that can use these carp uh, for fertilizer, can turn these carp back into animal feed. Um, and commercial fishermen uh, have done a great job at restoring, uh, you know, habitats and waterways uh, for native fish, for game fish that have been impacted by Asian carp. Uh, at the same time, we've seen uh, wildlife managers, we've seen uh, state and federal agencies pioneer other methods uh, that involve large coordination of different netting systems, sound systems, um, and uh, other kind of innovative methods uh, to herd and drive uh, Asian carp into small areas where they can be netted and uh, removed in mass. So we've seen a continued progression in the fight uh, against establishments of Asian carp, but you know, as really any aquatic invasive species uh, subject expert would tell you, you know, the most important part of, of dealing with invasive species uh, comes before that introduction and making sure that introduction never occurs in the first place. Uh, so while we, we do uh, you know, continue to see innovation and progress uh, in the fight against established invasive species, uh, making sure that uh, that invasion never occurs is one of the things we can do to keep fisheries safe in the long term. Yeah, definitely easier to prevent it than uh, play catch up and try to chase it, and and uh, probably a lot less expensive to prevent it than than what we're doing now. Certainly, when it comes to the price tag, yeah, prevention is uh, the cheapest uh, means. Yeah, it it just uh, there's so many so many things that. Uh, that the sportsman may or may not be aware of, but uh, they, they, what they really need to be aware of, though, is the fact that uh, there is an excise tax on everything we buy for our industry and use, and it gets distributed back to the states. And I know we've mentioned this on other podcasts, but that is uh, uh, thank you to the sportsman for for doing that, and I I think that's uh, very important. Uh, uh, any uh, last minute uh, or closing items do you think the uh, listeners would want to hear? Or, you know, we, we certainly want to have you back on again uh, sometime in the future for an update. Absolutely. You know, the, the last thing I'll say is that anglers themselves, you know, beyond uh, paying the excise taxes, uh, are really on the front lines of helping to fight back against invasive species. And there's very simple steps uh, that anglers themselves can do uh, to prevent the spread of invasive species. And that's uh, being mindful of, uh, you know, following local regulations when it comes to using live bait uh, and not moving that live bait around uh, to different water bodies when it is, uh, you know, when it uh, conflicts with local and state law, uh, as well as, you know, clean, drain, and, and dry your boat uh, between uh, launches in different lakes and water bodies. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, that boats can be often a vector for invasive species like uh, zebra mussels, uh, which can have... Uh, also uh, significant impacts on fisheries as well. So anglers themselves, uh, you know, have tremendous agency uh, in making sure that uh, water bodies remain uh, accessible uh, and remain restored for future generations of anglers, uh, whether that's directly through the political process or whether that's, uh, you know, through kind of the direct work uh, we do as, as users and uh, folks who enjoy and love the research. Excellent. I, uh, we're up against the clock, so we're going to end this, but it won't be the last time that we talk to Connor Bevan. Uh, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, Dave. Oh, uh, no problem. Uh, I am Dave Cran. Steve Sally is, is remote, and this segment of the We Fish ASA podcast was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel. For those with a passion for the outdoors, we will be right back after these messages.
The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I am excited to introduce again the hottest stick on the planet. Uh, boy, this guy, he just keeps proving he knows how to win. He did it again. Elite Series, Lake Chickamauga, 100,000-plus paycheck, a big blue trophy. Please welcome the one and only Jason Christie. Hey, Jason, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am doing okay. If you said anything other than doing great, I, I would accuse you of not being truthful because it, it, it doesn't get much better. Hey, you you are on a roll. You won the Classic. You won this big event at Lake Chickamauga. That's uh, your seventh major that you've won, I believe. What the heck is making you so good these days? You know, I just think everything uh, right now is working out. I mean, it's... Uh, it's the big picture from, you know, just life in general is good. Uh, no worries. Um, you know, in the fishing, I mean, fishing with um, the utmost amount of confidence right now and, and just making good decisions, you know. And, and on top of that, you know, I've fished two tournaments. I've fished eight days where I have not lost a single fish. So, um <laughs> It's just everything combined. Uh, it's working out uh, right now. You know, I lose one fish in the classic. I lose one fish at Chickamauga, and and uh, and I don't win either one of those trophies. So, um, you know, I've truly been blessed and and just you know a little bit lucky lately. And and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, you you lose you lose a fish. Oftentimes, I'll hear this and say. Hey, man, don't be hard on yourself. It wasn't your fault. If you lose a fish, are you able to walk away from it like that, or do you blame yourself and say, no, no, it is my fault? Well, it all depends on the situation. You know, I mean, everybody that fishes knows that you're going to lose some fish. Uh, You know, if you're fishing and, you know, if I'm not, 
focused and I know that and I, you know, I'm late or early on a hook set and I lose one and, you know, I kind of chalk it up as my fault and those are harder to uh, let go than ones just randomly uh, coming off. But there is somewhat a little bit of luck in, you know, how, how you hook a fish and, and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I that's what I'm saying. It's, it's just been, I've been blessed here lately on to get everything in the boat, make the right decisions, and uh, everything's good. It's funny. You, you just fell into, into the uh, oldest trap uh, talking about fishing when you said a little bit of luck. Because whenever you say luck, you'll get people out there that don't follow the sport or don't fish much, and, and, and they'll go back and say, well, fishing is nothing but luck, and the guy just said that. That isn't what you mean at all. That, that isn't, luck, luck plays a small part of things, and there are things you can't control, but 95% of fishing has to do with skill and brain power rather than luck, Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I would I would go along with those numbers. Uh, you know, there it's just fishing, and and uh, you know, I don't think it's if it was a one day event. You know, there there's more luck involved in the one day event. But whenever you're fishing four day event, um, you know, it's uh, it takes a lot of the luck out of play. Um, you know, another thing, I mean, you see a lot of the same guys do well week after week um that's not because those same guys are just lucky you know there there is something that uh you know there's things that guys can do to be consistent and win and and uh that makes them you know towards the top uh more often than not yeah for sure for sure uh you know looking at uh, chickamauga the final results the top 10 uh, th there was probably nine guys in the top ten that if I was playing fantasy fishing would not have predicted they would be in the top ten. Th does, that, uh, does that attest to the fact that the fishery operated in a very surprising manner? Or does it attest to the fact that BASS is developing a core of young anglers that are just doing really well? No, I think uh, I'm going to disagree with you on that. There's there's some guys in that top ten that I would absolutely uh, have picked to be there. You know, Drew Benton, the best sock fisherman to ever get in a boat. I mean, Caleb Coopall has been making top tens. Um, you know, you may not recognize their names and their faces um, from a spectator standpoint, but, you know, fishing against them, uh, those guys are pretty solid, you know, and and uh, we do have a, a really balanced field, meaning that you're you're not going to see the same guys up there time and time again because we have we have a lot of guys that can catch them. So uh, you're going to see that top ten, you know, move around a lot. You're going to see guys bounce in, and you know, you're going to see guys that just get on hot streaks that um, seem to stay in that top 10 uh, big part of the season. Yeah, very good. Very good answer, and, and, and I, do, I do agree with you. Uh, and, and not to take anything away from anybody, uh, the future of this sport, uh, part of it uh, has to do with uh, these uh, anglers coming up and, and making a name for themselves and, and you know getting on the cover of magazines and stuff. And, and, and we've certainly got a lot of guys uh, elbowing each other out of the way for those positions. It's it's exciting to watch. 
it is, and it's exciting to be a part of it. You know, we uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot and compete against these these younger guys uh, and watching them grow. And, and uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, guys right now in the league series that are going to be, uh, you know, those household names before their career is over. Yeah, I think it's exciting, going to be real exciting to watch the uh, Angler of the Year standings as it as it moves. Uh, as hot as you are, you're sitting in 37th right now, but it, it's not going to take much to, to get up there and challenge for that number one spot. Uh, how important would that be to you to get that? You know, that's, that's one thing in my career that's kind of eluded me. You know, I, I stubbed my toe uh, a time or two this year. Um, in tournaments, so it's going to be an uphill battle to get there. But, uh, you know, the season is not even halfway over. So, you know, if I hit, if this hot streak continues and I get, you know, two or three more top tens, then I'm definitely not out of the uh, discussion of English. No, no, not, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, you're definitely, you're definitely moving up. Um, let's, let's go over this uh, Lake Chickamauga tournament, which is down out of Dayton, Tennessee. Um, first of all, ask you a question. You, you mentioned it before, a four-day tournament. Uh, do you have any preference to fish in a three-day or a four-day tournament? Um, you know, both are fine with me. I, I do believe that the more days you fish, the better anglers are going to kind of rise towards the top. So, um, you know, I think that I prefer a four-day event. Um, Three days, you know, is, is great for the classic because it creates a lot of, uh, you know, drama in a short, um, a shorter amount of time. So I think right now we have a pretty good, uh, you know, a pretty good schedule and, you know, the number of days. I think everything is just like it should be. Yeah, interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, let's let's go back and talk Chickamauga for a minute. Uh, you started out uh, with three days of practice. And uh, it was an interesting practice. Uh, how, uh, run through your three days of practice for me, would you? Yeah, uh, you know, I spent the first two days in the Hiawassee River, and uh, you know, both of those days were really were really good. Um, you know, I, I established a couple patterns, and uh, you know, I found a place or two kind of off the beaten path. Um, so it was really a productive two days. And then the third day, I just spent. Um, running around the lake trying to find something off the wall and and uh, you know the problem with that is is on the third day I knew I knew all day long where I was going to fish and how I was going to approach the tournament yeah it, interesting enough uh, second day I had read that the wind had picked up and uh, you, you thought that that activated the fish now be, being in the in the river in shallower water, I would think it would not have that much effect, but but it did, uh, as much or more so if you were fishing out in open water. Um, I don't care if you're fishing in six inches, ten foot, or fifty foot. You know the wind is always going to play. Uh, you know, and how you're fishing, your bait selection, how the fish are going to react, and you know we did have pretty heavy winds the second and the third day of the event, and absolutely it made. You know, it makes some of those bigger fish get up there shallow, and, and it makes it easier uh, for me to be able to fool them, uh, you know, with these baits that we're throwing. Excellent. Very, very good. Yeah, and, and shallow, 
Uh, you were catching them as low as a foot of water, right? Yeah, in practice, I mean, in the tournament, the first, you know, two, three days, everything was coming really shallow, 18 inches or less. And then, you know, when we got that cold front the last day, uh, you know, the water temperature dropped six, seven, eight degrees. And, and a lot of my fish on the last day came out there three, you know, two, three, four, and some even in like five foot of water. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. And, and, and uh, and you were when they're that show, you're seeing these fish where they're at. Excuse me. You're seeing these fish. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm no, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm just fishing. You know, there there was some times in the event where I was catching them on live scope, but that last day I was just fishing. Uh, you know, I, it took me a little bit to kind of figure out how they were setting up, and and really all they did was move out just a little bit deeper than went where they had been the previous three days. Uh huh. Well, I I had read an interview where you had uh, you had given kudos to uh, one of your sponsors, Costa, and said you were wearing a pair of Tuna Alley blue sunglasses that helped you out a great deal. And I, I got to tell you, I, I almost fell off my chair when I read that because I just picked up a pair of Costa Tuna Alley blue sunglasses. And I was like, yes, this is going to make me fish like Jason Christie. I can't wait to get out of the water. Yeah, that's funny. It's, uh, you know, it's, I didn't catch every fish, uh, you know, on those underwater kind of hard to see targets, but I caught a lot of fish uh, throughout the event. And, you know, that's one thing kind of in my position, you know, I give credit. I wish that I had like a little checklist because I'd give, you know, three or four fish to Costa. I'd give three or four fish to Garmin Livescope. I'd give, you know, three or four fish to the Yamaha being able to, you know, pretty much jump over a sandbar and get in a hidey hole. Um, this event was definitely uh, a team effort. It wasn't one bait. It wasn't one thing. It was just a combination of everybody uh, on the sponsorship team pitching in just a little bit and uh, getting us a blue trophy. Excellent. And to, fi to finish up on that third day of uh – Third day of practice, where, where a lot of the fish had seemed to move to be uh, uh, more interested in being near rock than where they had been the previous two days. Uh, you said you nailed a, a, a six pounder at the end, which, which which sparked you. But you had even thought about not fishing that third day because you thought you had it uh, pretty much locked in. Uh, you, you must be happy you made that decision. And do you ever do that where you just stop practicing or stop doing what you're doing in practice? Uh, sometimes in practice, you know, you're referring to a six-pounder that I caught the third day of the tournament. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thing, yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, yeah, there, there are times in practice where, you know, I believe that a guy can have too many options. Um, you know, I'd like to have a couple options. Um, and have confidence in those. So there are times in practice that if I feel like, you know, I got a really good idea of the lake, what's going on, and I got some primary areas, then, then I won't fish the entire three days. But those are really uh, rare, I would guess, maybe once a year. Excellent. Let me take a quick break. Uh, I want to play a couple commercials, if you don't mind. When we come back, uh, there'll be more of me, Steve Sarley, on with a true champion, one of the best bass fishermen going, and the hottest stick on the planet right now, he is Jason Christie. We Fish ASA will be right back.
You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I had completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Surley, and I am here with the winner of the Bassmaster Elite Series event on Lake Chickamauga, coming off of a Bassmaster Classic victory. There is nobody hotter in bass fishing than our guest, the one and only Jason Christie. Welcome back, Jason. All right, we, we did pre-fish and run through the tournament on Lake Chickamauga. How did you attack that? And you had a phenomenal finish uh, to ice this thing. Tell us how this all worked out for you. Yeah, you know, it, like I said again, it's just one of those uh, tournaments that was a little bit weird. Um, you know, really didn't think at the first day I had a chance to win and you know, even after two 20-pound bags on the second and third day, you know, Chickamauga is a place where you expect to see a 25, 27-pound bag. And, and uh, you know, with 10 guys fishing on the last day that's within five or six pounds, uh, you expect somebody in that top 10 to catch a giant bag. And it just didn't happen. And, and uh, you know, it was a really tough fishing day on that last day. And, and uh you know, I still am really, really shocked that I was able to win that event. When when, when did the temperature drop during that uh, tournament? Um, it started dropping the beginning of the third day, um, but the really severe drop was uh, kind of that third tournament night, you know, going into the fourth day. That's whenever... You know, the temperature, I mean, I had ice on the boat and ice in the guides of my rod and the water temperature dropped six or seven degrees. The fourth day was whenever we fished under, you know, pretty cold conditions. Okay, fair enough. Now, uh, you come out and you see there's ice uh, crusted up on your boat. That just throw your plans out the window. What do you do to uh, account for that? What do you do to compensate for that uh, drastic change in temperature? Well, you gotta you gotta remember these fish. Um, you know, it's spring; they're wanting to go to the bank, and uh, you know, just because it gets cold for a day, they're not going to leave a creek or a pocket 
Um, they're just going to adjust. And, you know, what I did on the fourth day was just when I started on the fourth day, just, you know, you just fish with an open mind, um, trying to relocate them. And, you know, the key bite for me the fourth day was the first bite that I caught, you know, straight out from the cover that I'd been fishing, uh, you know, in that little bit deeper water. And, and the rest of the fourth day, you know, all of my bites set up the same way. So I just fished with the open mind and relocated them and was able to catch a few. Excellent. Great, uh, great planning. Great, great thinking. I think that's uh, absolutely wonderful. And I, I always tell people that, you know, when I talk to you guys that are so good, uh, temperature is as, as important as, as anything. And, you know, the average weekend bass fisherman will say, uh, Oh, I'm going to wait till it warms up another 10 degrees, you know, and that'll that'll activate them. And, and you guys are more keyed in on on uh, changes of two or three degrees, and a two or three degree temperature can, can push them from 12 feet of water to four feet of water. And uh, I, I think that that's one thing that separates the the pros from the amateurs is the ability to read the temperature, which is so important. Yeah, every, every day is different fishing. Every hour can be different, and, and honestly, it can change from creek to creek. So, you know, they're just if I had to give any advice to anybody, it would be just, you know, when you go fishing, fish with an open mind because things are going to change uh, probably sooner rather than later. Excellent. Very, very good. What, what condition that uh, faced you at the Bassmaster Elite Series uh, event at Lake Chickamauga weather-wise was fog. I know if uh, if I see fog, uh, I, I'm not put the boat in and say, we'll do this again some other time, don't want to be out there. You don't have the option to do that unless they cancel or postpone. You're faced with having to be out there in the fog. What does that do to you? Well, I mean, under, uh, you know, obviously they're not going to let us go if it's foggy at takeoff. Um, I think, you know, I was making a decent run up the river and and uh you know it's just one of the things that we we have to adjust to it and you know luckily um when i hit the fog i made the right decision pulled over in the right creek and uh and just started fishing rather than uh trying to run through the fog but it's just one of the things you know uh fog rain uh ice wind uh storms that's just something that we have to deal with you know across the country does the fog do anything to the behavior of the fish at all? Uh, not really. I mean, it just you know, it's just just another another variable in the equation that you have to deal with. You know, I it just creates uh, darker water, which um, you know more than likely uh, will get those fish biting. You know, one thing about fog is you don't have any wind uh, whenever you do have fog, so. Um, it's just another, like I said, just another variable that we have to deal with. Well, you, you, you did great. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of people look at uh, professional fishing and they say, man, I wish I did what they did. They, they go fishing every couple of weeks. Man, what a life. This is absolutely fantastic. And, and they don't realize what it's like to be on the road as often as you are or putting on the thousands of miles, driving in a truck by yourself. And uh, everything is different. And it's not. You know, no matter where you're staying, you're not staying at the Ritz with room service. It's a, it's a it's a trying and difficult lifestyle, 
And there's more to it than fishing every couple of weeks. You know, you won this thing this past Sunday. I called you right away. You said, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you, but I have sponsor obligations on Monday and Tuesday. I got two full days of sponsor obligations, and it's sitting there. The average guy fishing or watching the tournament on the, on the live tracker on Sunday is going, what is he talking about? What does he have to do on Monday and Tuesday? What the heck is a sponsor obligation? Uh, you know, just visiting sponsors, um, you know, we still have some carryover from the classic, um, you know, going by and meeting people, uh, you know, talking to product development, um, you know, all of those things. And every sponsor is different, but, you know, I go from two days to sponsor obligations, come home, and, and still have to catch up on personal uh, work stuff. And, you know, immediately following this interview uh, or this show, then I have... You know, I have another one. So it's just, it's busy, but it's, it's busy because of the last two trophies, and, and uh, it's something that I would not trade for anything. When's the next time you're going to have a rod in your hand and fish for fun? Not anytime soon. No kidding. No, no, i got too much work to get that on. Excellent. I, I, I love that. And uh, uh, I think that realize, I think people realize uh, now hearing you say that, What's involved here? It's a lot tougher than, than people realize. And when you said we're still catching up with the Classic, man, you, you got a heck of a lot more months. They'll still be talking to you about that Classic until the next one ends, you know? Yeah, yeah. We, we've been on the road 65 out of the last 70 days. So, um, you know, it, it's not normally like that. And, you know, being on the road that long and then getting two trophies, um, it's just kind of all snowballed, but you know, I'll catch up and maybe next week I'll get out there and do some crappie fishing after I get my practice done and, and, uh, have a little fun. Yeah. I bet you can't wait to do your taxes next year. Yeah. That's not going to be fun at all. Yeah. going to be a little, going to be a little bit different there. And, uh, and really eye-opening when you see what you got to pay next year after winning all this money this year. And, and I hope, I hope you're going to go up a couple hundred thousand more. Hey, I, one thing that was interesting, you've got, you've got three daughters, and I think, that's, I think that's wonderful. But you are a college graduate. You went to uh, Northeast State University, and you got a degree in education. You were going to be a coach and teacher, uh, which, which I think is marvelous. I'm certainly happy that uh, you turned out to be a champion in the world of bass fishing. But especially with uh, this college and high school fishing being so popular, Tell me how much how important it was for you to get your education, and and how important you think it is for the young fishermen of today to keep on that course. Yeah, well, I, that's one thing I would tell all these kids that's trying to fish is, you know, you don't want to fish on a credit card. Um, that's just too much pressure for any person. And you know, the first thing they need to do is get get a uh, get a degree. And you know, pursue that degree that degree somewhat, and uh, and then and then worry about fishing. So uh, definitely get that education before you start trying to become a pro angler. Excellent, excellent. And uh, hey, it, it always gives you something to fall back on, which is something I don't think Jason Christie has to worry about falling back on anything. Uh, you're you're riding high. Things are things are going really really well. 
if you want to follow Jason Christie, I would definitely recommend going to christiefishing.com or check out Jason Christie on Facebook. He's got a lot of great information out there, uh, great sites, and he, he's, he, is, uh, he is certainly, certainly good to follow. I, I, does the uh, does the attention you're getting from the fans because you're certainly a fan favorite is that intimidating or humbling or what's it what's it like to be all of a sudden you know, everybody wants your autograph and picture everybody wants a piece of Jason Christie. Yeah, that's just not something I'm really used to. You know, it's uh, it's I'm starting to get used to it a little bit, but you know, it is somewhat humbling and. Uh, you know, I, I really try to reach out and, and talk to every one of those, you know, comments or calls or emails or something like that. But, you know, it's just going to take me a little while to uh, to get back to everybody, but I'm going to try to do that. I think you're handling it great, and I'm enjoying watching your career progress, uh, the amount of success you have had and you are having and will continue to have is amazingly impressive. Jason Christie, thanks for taking time from your incredibly busy schedule to join us. I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll talk again soon after you win another one. I appreciate that. I hope you guys have a good day, and uh, thanks for letting me be on the show. God bless. Jason, take care. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best art fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Connor Bevan, ASA's Inland Policy Manager. And Jason Christie. Wow, does that guy know how to fish or what? He is on one hot streak for sure. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. And Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. They certainly do. Daiwa Reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to get the free We Fish ASA app for iPhones and iDevices at the Play Store. And, of course, the podcast is always available at our website, wefishasa.com. If you like what you hear, please let us know. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or someone we should have on the show, please let us know that, too. We love your correspondence. We answer everything we get. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner's Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.